Hey there, welcome to this bonus episode for paid subscribers of Rethinking Wellness. I'm Christy, and my guest today is Lingling Huang, who's back to discuss how she's changing her relationship with social media, how social algorithms led her to questionable wellness products out of a desire to help a loved one who is struggling with an illness, how wellness culture affected her creativity and her work as a professional violinist, her upcoming TV series, and more. This is a free preview of a longer episode for paid subscribers, and if you want to hear the whole thing, you can subscribe at rethinkingwellness.substack.com. So without any further ado, let's go to my conversation with Lingling Huang. So Lingling, welcome back to this bonus episode of Rethinking Wellness. Thank you so much for sticking around and chatting with me further. Of course, it's my pleasure. So, you know, I'd love to continue where we left off in the main episode. We talked briefly at the end about how you're changing your relationship with social media. And you mentioned also in in the conversation that you were noticing sort of the wellness rabbit holes on social media and the disinformation and that reading my book sort of helped you alert to that. So I'm curious, like what rabbit holes you got pulled down on social media and, and sort of what it was like for you to be in that space, especially when you were part of this wellness community with the story worked at and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it's one thing to experience it because it, it feels like, I mean, when you're falling down the rabbit hole, you don't really notice, but reading about it in the wellness trap and seeing how much some of these companies made like billions of dollars from disinformation was so shocking. I think I wrote in the margins, horrific, <laughs> I do feel like social media, there's an aspect of it where if I feel like I'm not on, I I feel like I'm missing out on on things. And right before the pandemic, I took, um, I think, a three to four month break after I read How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Oh, I love that book. I loved that book. And it really changed my relationship with that. But it's it's been kind of a relapse constantly, right? With um, the pandemic, we were all so on our devices. And I wish I'd known about SIFT earlier, actually. I, I didn't encounter it until until your book, but I'm, it's something I'm definitely going to use now. Or Pastel QAnon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, there's just so much that I didn't know about. But I, you know, I had seen the, the Wayfair situation. Um, and I was actually sent that by friends who were new moms. And from kind of like my experience in the wellness space, um, I've learned to kind of be like, could be true. I'm not going to get too involved. I don't need to have an opinion on it, nor does anyone need to have my opinion on it. So we're just going to leave that. <laughs> but And then, of course, it's such a like kind of shocking thing that you would want to share it, even if it's just to be like, can you believe this? But that's how these things get traction. It's good that you had that sort of like intuition to not share it. Or you're just like, "Mm, I don't know about this and step back. Yeah, that intuition, I think, is from, you know, learning the hard way with with wellness things and with reading the wellness trap made me realize so many of the things that I did shill out to my friends advice or, you know, things like that. Like, you know, my mother-in-law, she, she's in remission now, but um, she had cancer. And I remember getting her some cookbooks that, you know, 
uh, I don't even remember what they were. And they were meant to be, you know, in conjunction with the chemo that she's getting. Um, but I like looking back on that now, I'm like, what were those cookbooks? And also you had such a um, fascinating, there was some footnote about how people, especially with breast cancer and things like if you're interested in alternative therapies, the risk you have of, of dying is so much more, like maybe six times more. Those facts were so shocking. And I got chills remembering the cookbooks that I got for my mother-in-law. But of course, it's like, I just wanted to help in some way. And it was a situation where I felt like I had no control. And that was my way, you know, and so it's social media preys on on that feeling, which you really write about so succinctly and so clearly, like drawing the parallels. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's what makes your book such a necessary read. So things like that. And so I'm, I'm very wary of online stuff. And with publishing, there's always new authors and things like that. And I, I felt so great about getting a book out into the world. But then you read about other people and their experiences and things like that. And that saying comparison is the thief of joy. I found myself kind of spiraling into anxiety and depression. So now, once again, even though with book publishing, I'm trying to be a little bit more online, I've really like, yeah, it's okay to not follow or, or to mute people that, you know, are adversely affecting my mental health for a bit. And Maybe I'll check back in later, but it's it's been good for me to just keep an eye on on how I'm doing with my mental health and, and social media. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's such a helpful thing. And it is like such a relapse and, you know, back on the wagon kind of feeling to it because there is that addictive nature of, of social media it really is engineered to keep us addicted, to keep us checking back and wondering what people are saying about us. And there's that such human pull to like, know what people are saying about us behind our backs or to want to participate in the conversation or to want to check back and see how many likes we're getting and all that stuff. And, and to compare ourselves to strangers, it's really so, so harmful. And this brings me to another thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is creativity, because I think in so many ways, social media can really hinder creativity and yet creative people need it to promote our work these days too, you know, when you have a book out or when, you know, I'm not sure for music, if you have to use it professionally at all, but a lot of like freelancers and in various arts and, and letters disciplines, you know, will have to use social media professionally. And so it's like this sort of necessary evil. And that sounds like it's been a part of your publishing experience for sure. Yeah. And I mean, those three to four months that I took off social media, I, just basically consigned myself to the fact that I was going to miss freelancing violin work because so much of how people find you, like if you, the more, the more you post, the more you're top of mind. And if someone needs to contract a gig, they just saw that photo of you doing whatever other cool thing or what, you know, so then you get hired. And so it is a necessary evil where as creatives kind of so dependent on it and there's not really you know, not that I've found like another way, not everyone lucks out and is like a Sally Rooney who, you know, doesn't need Instagram or, or something. And it's part of, to some extent, if you're an author or a creative person, there's an expectation that you're going to give people access to you. That feels like maybe a, a more recent 
expectation for, for everyone. It doesn't feel as much like a choice as what I imagined it might have been like five to 10 years ago. Totally. Yeah, really does not feel like a choice in so many cases. I have said this on other episodes, but like, I feel like I would just walk away from it entirely if I didn't want to maybe write other books and want to have the sort of platform that would just reassure my publisher, like, okay, she can reach people and sell books. Because I think there's still this sort of, the metric of that shows success in the, in the mind of people who aren't totally sure you're going to be able to have success other ways or something like that. So it's like this, if you want to continue being in like a public space like that, continue writing books for major publishers, it's almost like it ha- you have to hold on to it. I was like, oh, maybe if I reach some sort of metric of success where it's like undeniable, then I can get off. But I don't really know what that is. And I don't know. It's probably a conversation to have with the publishers, honestly. But like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's I feel like there's not like a metric success that it's it's like another like trick of like constantly optimizing you need to just amass as many followers as possible um in order to have value in the eyes of it is such a shame because i mean people will find you through social media and then they will read your book which is your many books um including the forthcoming fiction (laughs) right and it's such important work that needs to be out there. So it it's so great on on that respect. But it's yeah, it's it's really hard to stay creative. It's in a way, it really it feels like shackles or something. But I I feel like we're all kind of subject to to this social media machine. Yeah, I mean, speaking more about creativity, I'm just curious how your experience of getting wrapped up in wellness culture affected your creativity, if it did, you know, because you you ended up writing the book after that. So it sort of, in a way, sparked this writing aspect of your creativity, maybe, or helped, helped foster it or further it or something. But with violin and with even with writing, you know, like, do you feel like it sort of hindered you in any way creatively? Or you said it like it kind of took over your life at a certain point, right? You've been listening to a free preview of this episode. To hear the rest and get tons more bonus content, become a paid subscriber by going to rethinkingwellness.substack.com. That's rethinkingwellness.substack.com. Thanks so much for listening. Listening.